And a few housekeeping items. Uh, we have a fully packed session uh, today. So we will be taking questions off stage. I'm Jairam Sambath Kumar. I'm AWS Oracle Solution Architect focused on Oracle Enterprise workloads. Here's a brief agenda for the today. We'll see Oracle solutions on AWS. We'll also look into why AWS is a great fit for Oracle workloads. And we'll specifically concentrate on four specific solutions, Oracle eBusiness Suite, PeopleSoft, Siebel, and Oracle WebLogic Server. And we'll also see at a high level migration to AWS. And to conclude it, we have Sierra Seda here to talk about their PeopleSoft journey to AWS. We have a number of customers who are running Oracle solutions on AWS across different verticals, finance, manufacturing, or online e-commerce, and education. We'll look into some of these customer stories in detail. AFG, Australian Financial Group, is one of the largest mortgage aggregators in Australia. They process about four billion Australian dollars of finance each month. So Siebel CRM systems are very critical to them. It contains about 1.2 terabytes of CRM data. So they migrated the Siebel CRM system to Amazon RDS. Among other systems, they realized 500,000 Australian dollars in cost savings in IT operation costs annually. CIO has been running Oracle eBusiness Suite R12. They moved their Oracle eBusiness Suite R12 to AWS, and they saw 20% reduction in total cost of ownership in the application layer. ShopDirect is one of the second largest online pure play e-tailer in UK. They have a multiple digital department stores. Their Oracle ATG Commerce is integrated with their digital department stores. So they moved Oracle ATG Commerce to AWS a few years ago. Last year, on Black Friday, their AWS architecture was able to handle 21,000 orders per hour. And you can see the complete list of case studies in the URL below. So why AWS is a great fit for Oracle workloads? You have a choice of uh, services today. EC2, Amazon Relational Database Service, S3, Glacier, to fit your needs. And AWS provides you the agility and the elasticity to support the demands of Oracle workloads. AWS also provides you a number of tools, CloudWatch, CloudTrail, AWS Config Rules, EC2 Systems Manager, to control your setup. AWS has certifications and attestations, cloud compliance. You will be able to meet your compliance needs with these. So a number of customers is running uh, Oracle solutions on AWS. This is a small part of that list. Uh, you'll see Oracle eBusiness Suite, PeopleSoft, that includes ERP and campus solutions, and Fusion Middleware, that includes Oracle WebLogic, SourceSuite. To talk about uh, these things in detail, I, it, I would invite Georgette Banerjee to talk about these things.
Good afternoon, guys. So background before joining AWS, I spent about 13 years with Oracle. So I was part of Oracle Applications Development Team in India. Then I moved to Oracle Consulting in US, where I started implementing Oracle eBusiness Suite, Oracle PeopleSoft, and Oracle databases and applications. I've also authored a couple of books on Oracle. You should be able to pull out that from Amazon.com. And today I'm going to talk about the architecture of eBusiness Suite, why you should be running eBusiness Suite on AWS, and I'm going to also talk about PeopleSoft. So let's talk about first eBusiness Suite. So if today you are running eBusiness Suite, you might be seeing that you have tons of eBusiness Suite environment. So I've seen with my experience, all the customers, they do have a production environment, and they will have at least eight or 10 different development environments. A bunch of test environment, then you will have some of the performance testing environment, some of the UAT environments, and most of these environments that you have today, you don't really use those environments on a day-to-day -day basis. For example, the performance testing that environment you have, you are going to use only for two to three months in a year. The hardware will be there on the shelf for all the year. Similarly, for UAT environment, it will be used only for a couple of months in a year, and rest of the time, the hardware remains unutilized. The biggest enhancement or the biggest improvement you will see in terms of saving the cost, the moment you move to AWS, you, if you don't need this environment, just shut down those environment and you don't pay for that. So now you don't really have to provision all those environment upfront. Whenever you need this environment, just spin off this environment and run your workload on that. Second thing that we see is that most of the developers, they leave office after 5 p.m. So even if you just shut down the dev environment after the work, you will at least save 70% of the cost. And that is something we see biggest value prop when customers move their A-Business Suite environment to AWS. So we support both 11i and R12, and this is architecture that you're seeing in the screen. This is one of the reference architecture that we have. You can actually work, you can actually run various kind of architecture that you have, for example, in 11i. You can have your Apple Top in a shared Apple Top mode. You can also have your application tier in a non-shared Apple Top mode. If you're planning to host your Apple Top in shared Apple Top mode, then you can use shared EFS for doing that. If you are planning to use DB shared with the concurrent manager server, then you can use the concurrent manager in the DB server in the old way. Similarly, if you are running R12 or 12.2, you can use EFS for the shared Apple Top mode. For the database tier, we recommend that you should be using EC2 servers and you can actually use elastic block storage. And using the elastic block storage, you can actually have RAID 0 plus 1 configuration in order to get the maximum availability architecture. You can have the database running in master and standby mode in multiple AZs. Similarly, for application tier, we recommend that you should be having multiple application tier across multiple AZs, so that even if one of the AZ goes down, you don't really have any impact. You can fail over to a different AZ. You can have an elastic load balancer on top of that, and you can have the end user access application via the load balancer. Couple of other stuff, normally the bigger challenges for eBusiness with customers are cloning, patching, backup, so if you move your eBusiness Suite environment to AWS, you will see that one of the challenges that eBusiness Suite customer has is cloning. So that problem we solve almost instantly because you can actually take a snapshot of the database, mount the snapshot into a different EC2 server, and your database is up and running in almost instantly. 
Same thing is for the application file system. Take a snapshot of the EBS volume, which is running your Apple top, mount that on a different server. And once that is mounted, you just need to run auto config and you're all set. You should be able to clone an eBusiness suite environment end to end in less than an hour, just because the most of the time that you're going to take is will be on the running of the auto config. That is the Oracle technology. So if you see, most of the time the admin spends on maintenance of the business suite activities are actually reduced when you move to AWS. Similarly, we also provide backup solutions. You can actually use RMAN for backing up your database and you can directly store the backups in S3. And same thing with S3, you can even store your EBS snapshot backups in S3 and using S3 cross-regional replication, you can actually move your backup to a different location at all to a different region so that in case of DR, you can actually use those snapshots and can create the environment very quickly. We also do support email notifications. You can actually integrate your e-business suite environment with the email notifications that we have. And many customers do have a global presence. For example, they might be running the global single instance in US, but they might be having users across India, across Singapore, across Australia. In that case, we recommend that use AWS workspaces, and then you can use those workspaces for your users. They can log into a business suite environment from the workspaces, and that way they get a much better user experience. We have just launched the certifications manager, so you can actually manage your e-business suite SSL certificates using our AWS Certs Manager. So let's quickly go to PeopleSoft architecture. So PeopleSoft architecture is a little bit different than e-business suite architecture. What happens with PeopleSoft is that instead of just two tier, it has a three tier architecture. You have a web tier, you also have a tuxedo server that is running, and then you have the database server. The beauty about PeopleSoft running on AWS is that we support RDS for PeopleSoft. So that means that you are not going to manage the database. Everything will be managed by Amazon. And that additional benefit that you get when you run your workload on RDS. And PeopleSoft is certified on RDS, and Quasi is going to talk a little bit detailed about what is RDS, how exactly the details of RDS are. So if you look at this architecture of PeopleSoft, exactly the way we have architected EBS, we also can architect the PeopleSoft in almost same way, just to get a maximum availability architecture. You can have the Tixedo servers running across multiple AZs, then you hook up them with a elastic load balancer. You can have a web server running on multiple AZs that is going to take care of the web applications workload. You can have a Process schedulers are in either in one AZ or in other AZ, depending on how your intensive your job load is. So this is one of the sample architecture. If you do not want to host your PeopleSoft in RDS, if you want to have more control on the database, you can still use EC2 in the primitive way or in the traditional way in which we have architected the e-business suite. And then for PeopleSoft, there are a couple of things which is very similar to a business suite, for example, backups. You can actually, if you are using RDS, then we actually manage the backups for you. You can schedule the snapshots, and if you want to clone and PeopleSoft environment, you should be able to quickly use those snapshots and you should clone a PeopleSoft environment. Similarly, for application tier, you can actually take the backups in S3. If you want to clone a PeopleSoft environment, CloudFormation is supported, so you can actually 
make a CloudFormation template for the PeopleSoft environment, and you can, if you want to deploy a PeopleSoft environment into a different region, just mount, take the CloudFormation template, run the CloudFormation template into a different region, and your infra entire infrastructure will be deployed very quickly. And then, of course, we have a couple of different solutions, and this is applicable for both ABSN Suite, PeopleSoft, Siebel, how to connect to AWS. We have solutions like AWS Direct Connect and VPN, which AWS becomes an extension of your data center, and you should be able to seamlessly integrate the applications that is running on-prem. Typically, right, we have seen that most of the application customers, you have tons of integrations. So using Direct Connect or VPN, you should be seamlessly able to integrate the all the applications that is running on-prem with PeopleSoft running on AWS or ABS Suite running on AWS or Sable running on AWS. I am not going to talk a little bit more about the housekeeping of PeopleSoft because our partners here have said that they are going to do a little bit deep dive about their experience of migration to PeopleSoft and what all things they have seen and what are the best practices to implement PeopleSoft in real life. I will hand over to Jay for taking over the Sable. Thank you. Architecture is uh, similar to PeopleSoft architecture. You can run Elastic Load Balancer or uh, any uh, load balancer to route your web request to your web servers. Your web servers can be located in a single AC or multiple ACs. And you can also use Elastic Load Balancer to route your web requests from web servers to Siebel servers. For Siebel Gateway Server, you can use AMI to launch a Gateway Server in another AC. The configuration can also be stored in an S3. And you can pull the configuration file from S3 and use it during instance launch. As per the best practices, we have segregated uh, Siebel EIM and Siebel tools in a separate subnet for isolation purposes. And you will see uh, Bastion host runs on their own subnet. Here we are using Amazon RDS for database tier. RDS multi-AZ feature gives you the high availability that is needed for Siebel database tier. Few considerations for Siebel. Uh, Oracle Siebel is fully certified on AWS. Uh, you can check on Oracle support uh, portal. For Siebel ga Gateway, if you want to uh, achieve high availability, you can uh, use either EC2 auto recovery feature or auto scaling group. Now let's take a look at a WebLogic uh, architecture. In a standard WebLogic architecture, you have one admin node and multiple managed servers. These managed servers can run on one AZ or in multiple AZs. You can use Elastic Load Balancer to route the web request to all these managed server containers. If you are using the latest Oracle 12C WebLogic version, you also have an option to run it in Docker containers. The Docker containers can be used to run your managed server component. And you also can use ECAS to manage your Docker containers. If you see all these architecture, AWS helps you to be agile and elastic. Similarly, AWS helps you in your migration path as well. AWS provides a number of options and strategies to help you in your migration. 
to talk about the migration aspect, I would invite Crazy Edwards on stage. Thank you, Jay. Good afternoon. So my name is Kwesi Edwards. I am a business development manager in the RDS team. So we're going to talk a little bit about migrating. So in general, migrating just means how are you going to get from your colo or your on-premise environment into AWS? At the database tier, you have a couple of options. Um, and we do recommend moving the database first. Um, Lift and shift into EC2, so it's uh, database running in a self-managed environment. You're responsible for patching and provisioning, but you can do things probably very similar to the way you're doing things today. Or you migrate to RDS. Now you're starting to cloud optimize. You're starting to take advantage of a higher service at AWS where we're doing a lot more of the undifferentiated heavy lifting for you. Um, at the app tier, or web and app tier, depending on which application you're using, obviously that's going to run on an EC2 instance uh, that you would install yourself. So let's talk about Amazon RDS, and uh, CRC will talk a little bit more about how they're running RDS for it. So um, somewhere between 50 to 70% of the activities that your database administrators are doing is really undifferentiated heavy lifting. Patching, provisioning, setting up security policies, setting up backups. Uh, we want to automate those things so that uh, you can focus on higher value activities, application performance tuning, uh, query tuning, things that have a lot more value to your internal and external customers. So with AWS, no infrastructure to manage. You click a button, uh, you choose what type of instance type that you want, you choose what, uh, what, what version of the database you want, and then behind the scenes, AWS creates that database for you, whether you use our command line utility or use our, our UI. Instantly provisions it. You can quickly um, deploy uh, a large number of databases and quickly shut them down. You can scale up and scale down. I was just in a, uh, a customer meeting, and the customer was sharing that um, they didn't have to right-size their instance before coming on board because it was so easy to scale up and scale down. So you don't have to know exactly what the infrastructure requirements are because AWS makes it very easy to increase the storage, increase the, the compute power, increase the memory, and shrink it back down when necessary. And you have licensing options. You can bring your own license if you have licenses that you uh, would like to use, or you can use uh, uh, what we call license included or RDSLI. For RDS, you can run PeopleSoft, Siebel, JD Edwards, Apex, Oracle Application Express, Oracle Commerce, uh, Fusion Middleware uh, the, with the a repository creation utility, so anything that, uh, like uh, Oracle Internet Directory and all the Fusion Middleware components can all run with RDS. So if you look at your migration tools and strategies, um, if you're moving to RDS, you have a couple of options. You can use our database migration service, or you can use data pump, basically do the export, import, and move the data in. At migration cutover time, you might be continuing to use DMS when you have your two systems running and having everything running in sync, and then do the cutover. Obviously, you can still do things like import, export. On DB2, I'm sorry, on um, EC2, you have the ability to obviously use DMS as you could with RDS, but you can also use your physical tools, the native tools like uh, DataGuard and RMAM. And then for migration cutovers, we have some customers that just set up a uh, DataGuard and did that to migrate from on-premise, had the DataGuard running as their backup, and then just did a switchover 
and then they were up and running in, in AWS. And the web and app tier, if you have a lot of data, you could use something like Snowball. You can also use your import-export and your storage gateways. And then at the migration cutover, you can also add capabilities like the native file sync to keep those uh, different application tiers in sync as well. So some of the solutions. So at the database tier with eBusiness Suite, um, you're going to use EC2. For PeopleSoft, you can use RDS or EC2 as well, uh, as well as Siebel. At the app tier, EC2 has a number of instances. You can right size which particular instance you want to use, X class, uh, M class, or R class. At storage, you can right size the storage. Whether it is for your production systems, you might want provision IOPS. eBusiness Suite can really be a hog of input, out, input and output, so you can have provision I, IOPS. But you can also use general purpose. And then for your Apple top, you can use something like EFS or NFS. Um, similarly, for PeopleSoft and, and with uh, Siebel, um, the, the more performance storage for your production systems, but not having to incur the cost for your test dev systems if that performance is not required. And then for DR with eBusiness Suite, we talked about that earlier with DataGuard or native file syncs. With PeopleSoft and Siebel, we add additional capability of having multi-AZ, where you click a button and all of a sudden a standby database is created in another availability zone for you. And in the unlikely event of a failover, it actually fails over to the other instance with the same database endpoint, so your applications don't have to be failover aware. And then to help, we have a mass migration program. Uh, we call the MAP, Migration Acceleration Program. Um, it provides some, some investments that we would make to help you on that migration. We have some migration methodologies. We have some best practices. We have a, a number of pre-certified migration partners that have completed a migration competency before we would recommend them to you. There's training, and you could obviously use the um, AWS Professional Services if you prefer as well. So I'll hand it over to Sierra Cedar and Tim Rogers. All right, uh, thank you, Quasi. Um, my name is Tim Rogers. Um, I'm a director of cloud technology solutions at Sierra Cedar. Um, and we're gonna talk to you about our cloud migration experience uh, associated with, uh, with PeopleSoft. So a little bit about Sierra Cedar. Uh, so Sierra Cedar's part of the Sierra Cedar Group, which is one of the largest North American IT services companies in North America. Uh, we're located in Alpharetta, Georgia. And our focus, uh, from a business perspective is managed and consulting services associated with uh, the Oracle ERP and BI applications. So today uh, we manage multiple data centers with over 700 ERP uh, application environments. And we spend an awful lot of time managing and maintaining those environments. So one of our longstanding goals is to always find ways to reduce the efforts associated with, with managing that. Um, and, you know, with the maturity of the, the, the cloud technologies that are out there, um, now is a, was a ripe time to, to go down that path. So a couple of our goals uh, for our migration was, obviously, we want to get out of the, the business of, of managing data centers, right? We want to focus on our, on our services. So we needed to migrate from our traditional data center over to the cloud. We needed a solution that provided us greater flexibility and agility uh, to provide our services, not only to our business, uh, but also to our customers. Um, 
improve the support uh, resource efficiency. Um, so, you know, one of those things gets back to being able to automate uh, infrastructure and, and, and do some of those, reform some of those, uh, you know, tasks that are, are pretty common across the board. Um, and then reducing our maintenance windows. Uh, so we've got a lot of customers out there that are, are demanding more uh, availability uh, and they, wanna, they want their systems to be up uh, more, um, you know, especially on the weekends during peak enrollments and uh, benefits, uh, you know, enrollments and registration periods. Uh, we also wanted to build DR into our uh, solution. So we'll talk, Tim, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So when we started down our path, um, you know, we really were looking for things that were probably a little more familiar. So we, we started looking at CloudStack and OpenStack, which uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's uh, they're really open, soft, open source uh, software uh, solutions that enable you to, to build your own infrastructure as a service. Uh, so, you know, that was familiar with us because we, we manage our own data center today, but it's not really where we wanted to be because ultimately, uh, we're still stuck with, with managing uh, the, the data center and all the associated components, just different platform. Um, with regards to uh, the next step, well, we figured, well, if, you know, we want to get out of the data center business. We need to be looking at folks that have already done this, right? So they've got, you know, lots of backing and lots of dollars to, to go build out their, their uh, solutions. Um, so obviously it was very prudent to, to go down that path as well. So based on the maturity of the, the cloud products that were out there, um, at the time that we looked at this, um, we found some very different experiences across the board, uh, but we did look at the, the leaders uh, that were out there. Um, and you know, based on you know, our experiences with, with each of them, what really impressed us about AWS uh, was really their willingness to listen to us um, and their responsiveness and, and just overall desire to help us be successful. All right, so that was very impressive. That's, that's just not the same experience that we, we found with the other providers that were out there. Um, so ultimately, all, all paths led to AWS. Um, you know, obviously, uh, one of the things uh, that's pretty impressive about AWS is their expansive services, right? So you listen to all the, all the sessions and keynotes and things today. Um, you'll find that not only do they have a lot of services, but they're continuing to invest in those services, um, make new tweaks, listening to customer feedback, and, and so on and so forth. Um, also, the availability of, of APIs to tap into the infrastructure to, um, you know, to help further automate some of those tasks uh, and get rid of the, the human touch was obviously very important. Um, and, yep, and just a continuing investment. I, that was the huge one for us, right? So they've got this mass of services that are out there, um, and they're just not letting them sit static. They're continuing to improve them uh, based on customer feedback. So that was real important to us. Uh, so our scope. Um, so this is, again, keep in mind, this is our initial scope. Uh, we focused on deploying our own uh, PeopleSoft environments, um, starting with uh, Human Resources and Financials 9.2. Uh, so we've got two production environments and uh, basically 10 non-production environments, so a total of 12. So it's, uh, you know, it's not a huge deployment, um, but uh, as uh, my partner will, will tell you, uh, we learned an awful lot along the way. So I'm going to turn it over to Tim West, and he's going to talk to you about the migration into AWS.
Thank you, Tim. I know it's getting late, so we'll we'll try to make this short and get you guys out of here. Um, so um, to kind of get started, you know, again, I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Tim West. I'm the AVP IT Services at Sierra Cedar. Uh, my team was ultimately responsible for you know converting our PeopleSoft systems, you know, into AWS. So what I'm going to talk about today is you know, kind of go through you know that journey. Um, you know, I think every customer is a little bit different, but I'll get a little bit more deeper into you know that journey that we took, um, kind of the lessons learned. You know, what did we learn from that journey? And also go a little bit more into you know what are we doing now? Um, and I think that's an important part is once you get into AWS, it doesn't really stop; it really continues forward. So I'll dive into that a little bit um, later in the presentation. Uh, to kind of get started, um, you know, our migration journey when we looked at the offerings a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2016, as um, my counterpart Tim Rogers went through, uh, there's many different you know vendors out there that you can go to. Um, but we knew once we made a decision to go to AWS, you know, training was going to be a huge, huge factor. You know, we come from an environment where, you know, your typical data center on-premise environment, you know, you've got a lot of specialties uh, that you kind of trained up over the years. And, you know, getting them trained in cloud is, is not an easy solution. So we knew off the bat that it's going to take a, a rel relatively large team to, you know, get focus and, you know, dive into using cloud tools the way they're meant to be versus using them in a more traditional sense. <clears throat> so kind of what our approach is when we looked at it is we took folks from, you know, all, all different areas. So we had folks from, you know, infrastructure and IT. Uh, we had folks from uh, security. We also had folks from, you know, the application side. Uh, and re really, you bring them together, you dedicate them, uh, rather than part-time, you dedicate them full-time. Uh, you really put them in uh, in line to learn as a group and a team. And, you know, where the benefit comes there is everybody comes with some background, uh, whether it's a DBA or PSA or whether it's, you know, networking or, or compute. You know, every piece is is just as important. And bringing them together early on uh, for that training session, you know, they, they kind of learn together uh, just as much as they can learn by, you know, doing, um, you know, doing online training. So we knew that was going to be a big component. Um, you know, there's many different ways you can you can do things. I know all the presentations are all different. You know, there's lifts and shifts, right? You can re-architect. Um, but essentially, the way we took approach is, you know, everything was a little trial and error. You know, don't be afraid to kind of dive in. Uh, you know, build build an environment. Uh, do it manually if you have to. You know, tear it down. Build it again. Uh, figure out is there a way that you can automate you know those steps. So you know you always want to build it. Uh, you can build it manually at first, but the next goal is to do it differently, uh, do it better. Um, and in that journey, you know there's there's many decisions that you're going to have to you know come face to face with. Um, you know one of the biggest ones for us is is EC2 versus RDS. And for us, you know our infrastructure, you know we have physical databases today. Uh, so we manage everything like it's an EC2. And from our experience, it's very easy from folks that are used to managing environments from a database perspective just to say, well, let's just use what we know. You know, we've got highly talented, experienced DBAs. Um, and being able to leverage that just makes sense to use it, you know, as it is today. Um, and so, you know, you kind of get the sense that, you know, EC2 just made sense. But when you start digging a little deeper, when you get into the benefits of RDS, you know, what does it do for you um, as an organization? Uh, it's just it's just night and day. I know you heard from this presentation, I'm sure many others as well, 
uh, but the labor that you get that you get back, uh, you can kind of reprioritize and refocus in other parts of your business. So you know, RDS doesn't necessarily replace the DBA, right? It just replaces some of the tasks that you do on a daily basis, right? Because you got to ask yourself if if you're doing stuff every day, do you really want to do that every day, or would you rather be focusing on something better, right? Better yourself and better the organization. And that's kind of the approach we took into it uh, when we decided, you know, really RDS was the path. Uh, load testing, you know, it, that was something that I know it shows Stormrunner. Uh, that was the tool that we used. And, and really, the, the tool you use is irrelevant, but it's really the experience that we gain by using the tool. And what I mean by that is, as we were going through the migration, when we decided, you know, we're eventually going to go live, uh, but you want to get a sense, is it going to perform like it performs in your data center today? Uh, so obviously, the load testing tool is going to give you some of that feedback. Um, but what was really interesting is that we found places where we can improve. Uh, we did find some things where we can take our web servers, make some tweaks uh, from the load testing tool. We also made some tweaks from the database side. Uh, we actually changed provisioning from you know, our, our, our space from SSD general purpose to IOPS. Um, but the, the, the neat thing that AWS provides is when you find these things, you're able to quickly address them. So for us, we were able to use the tool, identify an issue, make changes and tests within the same day and see the benefits. So this is another thing that, you know, it just was, you know, something new to us and that, you know, typically when you find an issue and you need to expand it out, have multiple web servers, um, you know, you're going to have to work with many different teams, right, in order to build that web server up, you know, provision it, right, get it up and, up and going. Whereas, you know, now with, you know, if you got a clone, you can use an AMI, you can spin things up relatively quickly. So, you know, there's, there's just a, a ton of benefits that you find. Um, you know, another uh, key aspect of, of that journey is, you know, just the ability of, you know, no procurement time. You know, how many people out here, you know, that, that are DBAs or application specific say, you know, you go to your IT team, you say, hey, by the way, we need, you know, we need four servers and we need this much compute, this much storage, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, they're going to say, well, yeah, we can do that for you. But by the way, it's going to, we can need to order it, right? And that's a minimum, right? Four weeks. Um, some may be longer, some may be sooner, uh, depending on, on your on your PO uh, timelines. But again, you don't have to wait. Um, you know, we ended up taking our build times, even if you take procurement out of the picture. You know, the way that you can clone and you can duplicate your environments. You know, we are able to reduce our build times that we do for PeopleSoft from a matter of weeks um, to hours, and you know, that was just huge, huge for us. Okay, so this slide is really to kind of go through architecture um, before the move to AWS. Um, and, and just a key, few key points here is, you know, one, the, the technologies uh, on the side. I'm not going to go through those, but those are just kind of listing out some of the, the, the vendors that we use, right, in our data center today. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to go through that, but just kind of keep that note. Um, I'll use it for the next slide. But... You know, the, the diagram there, I think, is very typical. I mean, anybody that has seen data center diagrams, um, you know, probably have seen something like this, and it's like, yeah, it's, it's very common. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that you're building your environment to be, you know, duplicated. So your network components, you're always going to have two of everything. Uh, you're going to have multiple web, multiple apps, uh, multiple databases, for that matter. Um, so from that stance, you know, there's not really much, you know, much different. But what's important key, it's not really shown in the diagram that's missing here, is disaster recovery. Um, and I, I would imagine every organization by now has a disaster recovery plan. Um, but in that plan, it's not necessarily used day in, day out, right? It's there as a security blanket. So when you, when you do have an issue and an issue, not where you just lose a single instance, um, because you've got HA there, but if you 
have a problem where it actually affects the entire data center. Uh, the question is, how fast can you go to DR? Um, now, you can do a lot of things to make that improvement and make that timeline small, but there's still a lot of hand coordination used in order to get DR functioning like it is at production. So, you know, just something that, to keep note that there's always going to be a timeline that in order to spin it up, DR, it's going to take time, whether it takes you a couple hours or, you know, for some cases, some people I've heard it takes them, you know, days to even do uh, switch over to DR. So. Um, after, so this is the after effect, what it looks like today. Uh, if, you, if you're looking at the diagram, again, going back to the DR scenario, you've got DR built into the architecture. So there's one less thing that you have to worry about. So rather than saying, I need to switch over to DR when we have an incident in one data center, uh, you now have two availability zones, which essentially is two data centers. So now with DR built in, you don't have the time to wait in order to fail over. Failover is part of the infrastructure. So now when, when there's, uh, hopefully it never happens, but if there is an incident where availability is down, is, is down for whatever reason, um, you know, that's not the worry because the other availability zone is there. Now you may be uh, degraded at some point uh, because you did lose one. However, you're, you're still operating, right? You're still, you're still taking requests in. And that, and that was relatively huge for us. Uh, the other thing in the diagram that this one has that does not exist in the one previous is we actually added a load balancer tier between the app servers uh, and the database server. And this was there just for greater availability. Um, and the reason why that's so important is when you when you look at it from a database perspective, um, just because you, you failed over a database, you don't want to necessarily have to do anything in the app servers to make it force over to go over to the other server, right? So putting a load balancer in there, now your app servers are always talking to load balancer they could care less whether the database is up and down because that's not their job. Uh, their job is just to send requests. Uh, the load balancer's job is to make sure they send it, send it to the proper one. So, uh, an extra layer that's in there uh, that wasn't in the other slide. Uh, the technologies that I, I said previously, you know, it, there was a lot of vendors in there. Right? You got Cisco. You may have, you know, F5. You got VMware. Um, and really, what's key about that is just to know that those systems, when you look at them, they're all they're all specific to teams. Uh, you know, typically your, your VM, right, it's going to be your, your, your technology, your server tech, um, technology. So those are your compute guys. Um, you're going to have things like, you know, firewall that only the network guys see. Uh, you may have some security items that only the security guys see. And so when there's an issue and, you know, the application guy's saying, I got a problem with my application. I don't know what it is. It must be network. So I'm just going to throw it over the network. Uh, network gets it. They look at it and they go, I don't know. It must be compute. They throw it over to the server guys. Um, then, you know, server guys look at it and say, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's disk, right? They throw it over this. So it doesn't really solve anything. All you're doing is kind of shifting the blame. You're taking a lot of time. But what this does is in our approach is we wanted to use as much Amazon services as we could. Um, and really the, the main benefit is that what it shows is it gives you a single pane of glass. Right, so for those guys that, you know, for looking at their applications, you know, they can get in the system, they can see, okay, it's not a network problem. Okay, the servers are available, it's, it's not the servers, right? It could be something else. So it gives them a little bit more visibility rather than showing, you know, just throwing it over the fence. It gives them the ability to actually um, kind of help troubleshoot and where the actual issue is. So. <clears throat> okay, lessons to share. Um, you know, core challenges, and I don't think this is new for, for anyone, uh, you know, change, change is tough. Um, and I think everyone would, would agree with that. Um, for us, you know, coming from an infrastructure where it was, 
you know, it was, it was very departmentalized and, and going through changes such as Amazon and saying, we're going to, we're going to rip out the carpet from everyone. It's, it's not, we're just changing one tier, one system. It's like everything we do today changed, right? So every group that had a piece in this changed. Um, and, and that's a frightening thing. Uh, that's like the unknown. And so I think it's this natural human to say, you know, I'm, I'm resisting this change. Um, but, you know, again, through our, through our programs that we try to get, you know, got to get training, uh, bring a group together. Um, I think we kind of, we kind of push through that. But again, you're always going to get those, you know, hey, I want to change this and do this differently. And it's always easy to come and say, well, this always worked for us the last 15 years. And why do we need to change it? Because it's worked so well. Well, it's just, it, it may still work in Amazon, but really you got to think about it. Is that really the approach that you need? I mean, rethink how you're doing your processes. Um, and that's something that is, is, is very challenging. And to this day, even, you know, we still have some of these challenges where people are, are, are a little bit resistant to, you know, kind of let go. Um, but, you know, over and over, I think we've done, you know, a very, very good job in doing that. Um, you know, and, and I think the biggest thing, if you look at the very bottom, kind of says it all. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to fail. You know, when when we go out and look at, you know, what's the better way to do it? You know, let's go out and learn, uh, you know, a new AWS service. Uh, you know, a lot of times you may go down that road and think it's, you know, it's the best thing and it's going to work great. It, it may turn out it doesn't really do anything that you want it to do. Uh, but the good thing about it is that you you took the approach, you went down, uh, you you probably learned a lot in that process. And even though it may not be used for something that you thought you were going to use it for, um, it allowed you, again, to gain that knowledge about a service that you probably wouldn't otherwise really know much about. So um, it's just don't be afraid to get out there. Uh, don't be afraid to try something. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, everyone, obviously, it's human nature. It'd be afraid to fail. Um, but really, you know, the failure is, is usually how we learn, learn the most of our mistakes. Uh, a few lessons for the migration. Um, you know, I know the session was mainly on RDS, but you know, RDS is, uh, you know, we say use it where you can. Um, there are obviously cases where it's, it may not be a good fit. Uh, for us, it just made sense. I mean, we had a lot of resistance, goes back to that change, of using RDS uh, versus using uh, EC2. But what we found is now those people that were the biggest people wanting, wanting to grab, you know, keep hold of what they've known so far, are now the biggest opponents to say RDS is great, right? So, you know, that's a huge transformation when you look at an individual saying they were the biggest ones kind of putting on the brakes and now they're the biggest ones, you know, pushing to go to RDS. Uh, they kind of realize the benefits and they kind of get over the, you know, hey, it's going to take my job away, but now actually, actually, I can focus on other things. Uh, so I can do tuning and other things that are actually better for the organization than your day-to-day -day operational tasks. Um, considering larger instances, uh, the speed up migration, uh, this one was, was something that we found when, for us, when we were doing migration, um, our RDS instance sizes, I think at first just really weren't really big. I mean, this was just part of some, some testing analysis. Um, and what was interesting is we found out that in doing so, we actually noticed, um, you know, it, it, it did complete in, in a matter of time that we thought it would, but we thought it would actually be a little faster, uh, which was kind of interesting when you, when, when we started looking at it and we noticed that the network IO was kind of like capped out. It's kind of like flatline. Um, and, and it actually had to do because the RDS instance was limiting on, a, on how much bandwidth you had. Uh, so for us, you know, one of the things we kind of learned is with the ability of Amazon, you know, you switch things up and down at will for whatever you needed to do. And for us, 
we ended up increasing the class size, which increased the network bandwidth capabilities, and we were able to now do our data pump process and get it done in a much faster time. So, you know, a lot of little things that you'll find that you, you look at as issues, uh, but because, you know, Amazon's so flexible and scaling, scaling up and out, um, you know, there's, there's ways to tackle it, but tackle it in a much efficient manner. Uh, architecting for failures, and, and I think this goes for any environment, you know, even for traditional, but, you know, there, there are benefits in Amazon to say, you know, when, when things do fail, what do we want to do? Um, you know, in traditional, I think the sense is when things fail, you want to, you want to kind of baby it and bring it up. Um, you know, you want somebody to go out there and do something. But, you know, I think to the discussion earlier is you want to run things that bring things up automatically, right? So you don't want really have a human involved unless it's absolutely necessary. So, but you also want to, when you do your architecture, you know, consider everything is going to fail, but how do you want to respond? Do you want a human to actually respond to it? Or do you want the system to actually do it itself and, and take that note? Um, monitoring the ecosystem is, is, I'm sure, you know, there's been a lot of announcements today in general, uh, but, you know, AWS is good about announcing things every day. Uh, and what that means is as you build up your team and that team of knowledge, you probably really need to get those that are, that are SME and experts in areas because it changes dramatically. Um, you know, I know what you think is a limitation today, tomorrow is no longer a limitation. You know, I know for RDS, in fact, um, you know, there used to be a what, eight terabyte limitation and now it's 16. Right, so, I mean, and, you know, so it, again, it kind of goes to whereas you thought it was a limitation yesterday, but today it's no longer a limitation. So, you know, you got to keep up with, keep up with that. Um, smaller VMs, you know, this kind of goes to, you know, adopting cloud concepts when, when you're, you know, architecting a solution, you know, you may look at your on-premise and say, well, you know, I got two web servers. I mean, why, why would I want any more than two, two sufficient? Um, but when you, when you look at it architecturally, if you were to lose one of those two web servers and you're running at 50%, is that sufficient? Do you care when that runs? Um, you know, how about, you know, any time in the middle of the day, the middle of the night, how about enrollment periods or how about payroll? Um, can you suffice on 50%? And, and I guess where that's going is don't look at it as transferring a lift and shift exactly the way you're configured into cloud. Um, because cloud's not really there to do that, right? You want to take advantage of all the technologies. So rather than having two servers and losing one at 50%, um, you know, maybe you have 10, right? And you lose one, it's 10%. Um, so, you know, these are just things that, you know, you just got to start thinking about. So think about it outside the box than what you're typically used to. Um, including your security team early is, is, is something that uh, I'm sure in today's day and age, I'm sure everybody does. Uh, with, you know, security being as high level as it is, it, it's always good to include them. And again, I kind of go back when our experience, we did bring them in early, um, but it was, a, it was a great benefit. And what I mean by that is they were part of that transition, part of that learning process. So that team that was involved with, you know, taking us to AWS, security was a part of that along the way. And what's important about that is, you know, from a traditional sense, uh, when they go to AWS, there's a lot more things they need to consider. This is not no longer about, you know, is a firewall port open or closed? Um, it gets a little bit more in, in, entailed into, you know, is there, is there any kind of specific, you know, requirements from an auditing uh, when you go to cloud? Is there anything you got to take a, you know, take a deeper dive into? Okay, uh, last slide, I swear. Um, the journey forward for us, you know, so, you know, at the beginning of the presentation, and, you know, I kind of talked about, you know, what you want to do going forward. Now that you're in Amazon, um, you know, what do you, what do you do? Do you, do you sit down in the seat, take a drink, put your feet up? No. I mean, you're going to, you're going to drive forward. So you look at it now is, you know, now that you're in Amazon, you know, what's the next step? What are you going to do? For us, it's about, 
creating uh, a better system, and I guess the way I would term it is is doing uh, infrastructure as code, essentially. So you know you want to have you know the infrastructure work in a systematic way. So every time you deploy something, it's deployed the same way. And yeah, you can have people go into the console manually do things, uh, and you hope they follow the same naming standards. You hope they apply the same tags. You hope they do it the same as maybe the other person would do. Um, and even though you got things documented, you know, human error can, can happen. So the way you look at it is if you do it all at the code level, it's all consistent across the board. Um, and what's great about it is, you know, Amazon gives you that, that foundation, right? They give you the services. So for us, keeping it within the, the, the ecosystem of AWS allows us to leverage, um, you know, that, that infrastructure at the code level. Whereas, you know, the goal, the goal for us is not to have people in the console not to have people on the EC2 if needed. Um, and, and I know that's, that's a hard concept, um, and even for patching-wise, right? It's not, you know, someone's gonna go out and hit a patch, and, and I, do, I know System Manager does a great job of doing, um, of doing patching and scheduling patching, but, you know, the question is, why should humans even be involved in scheduling? Um, why not set it up in a deployment scenario where you can do a blue-green deployment, or maybe you do a patching scenario where it scales up Right for the new systems, and then scales down, and you know takes out the old ones. So you know there's there's a lot of options, and for us, that's the next step. That's the evolution, right? So I think the first step is you get out there, you get in the Amazon, uh, you learn a little bit, and then the next step is you know how can I make it better? How can I take more advantage of it? You save on labor, uh, you repurpose that labor for things that actually make the business move forward. So on that note, um, thank you for your time, and I'll hand it back over to Jay. Thanks, uh, Tim Rogers and uh, Tim West. Uh, that was uh, uh, quite a good, insightful journey, and uh, thanks for the lesson shared. And uh, let's uh, look at uh, the uh, session uh, recap. We saw how AWS is a great fit for Oracle Enterprise Solutions. Uh, we saw how Amazon RDS can help you in, user, in using for your Oracle Enterprise Solution. It can truly uh, do the undifferentiated heavy lifting. And it can also help you to do high availability using multi-AC features. We also saw some of the tools like uh, database migration service, cloud uh, formation uh, templates, AWS Snowball, storage gateway, how it can help you in doing a migration. So all these uh, things help you to have truly scalable and a highly available architecture. And if, during your cloud journey, you just don't have to implement by yourself. We have a number of AWS Oracle competency partners who can help you to do evaluation and help you to do the, your cloud journey as well. For a complete list of partners, please visit the URL. And also, we have a number of white papers on specific Oracle solutions, like Oracle eBusiness Suite, PeopleSoft, JD Edwards, which go very in detail and has a reference architecture for your implementation on AWS. For a complete list of uh, white papers, just visit the URL below. And finally, thank you for attending uh, this session. Enjoy your evening. <laughs>